Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and we have another presidential candidate on the podcast today. It's Michael Bennett. He's the senator from Colorado. I know, he hasn't gotten much attention in the race, and he won't be on the stage when the Democrats debate in September. But think of him as sort of a moderate waiting in the wings should Joe Biden falter. He's sort of Joe Biden Jr., he has no problem saying he's opposed to Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, or a $15 minimum wage everywhere in the country. Dude speaks truth to power in some ways. The other day I saw him speaking at the Democratic National Convention meeting here in San Francisco, where he ripped the party for how it decides who gets to debate. Right in front of DNC Chair Tom Perez, who's just sitting a few feet away. I asked him about that, and whether he was just being a sore loser for complaining about it. Next, presidential candidate Michael Bennett on It's All Political. Senator Michael Bennett, welcome to It's All Political. Welcome to San Francis. Welcome to the city of St. Francis and the St. Francis you. Hotel. Thank you. That's where we're recording this today. The heart of St. Francis. Yes, we're in the St. Francis. I know, Francis I can hear St. the baristas working on that coffee yes, maker that's over a, there. Could be a lot of ambient noise here. There'll be <laughs> cu club, cups clanking and all that kind of stuff. You're out here for the DNC meeting. All the party activists were out here, all the mucky mucks. And you sat up there and you spoke truth to power uh which was and you and and thank god you did because you you made our story uh, oh good yes, i'm glad <laughs> the lead of the, otherwise would have been a very boring story you you called out the way that the party is is uh saying who can qualify to be in a debate you said quote the dnc process is stifling debate at a time when we need it the most you said we're rewarding celebrity candidates with millions of Twitter followers, billionaires who buy their way onto the debate stage, and candidates who have been running for president for years. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're speaking of Andrew Yang as the celebrity, uh, head, former hedge fund manager Tom Steyer as the billionaire, and former Vice President Joe Biden is the guy who's been running for president for years. Are we, are we accurate in that? Well, you, you could be accurate. They're, they, they're a subset of a larger set because those descriptions apply to others as well. Okay, okay. But, but um, I just think the DNC is playing a role it's never played before, and there's no reason for it to be doing this this early. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton was not even in the race and at 1% in the polls. I think John Kerry was at 4% in no November before he won the Iowa caucus. And in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and Nevada, people are barely beginning to pay attention to the race in right. these states, you know, to say nothing of the rest of the country where people aren't really there yet. So watching these debates today is a little bit like watching preseason sports and deciding that that's the moment you're going to, you, you know, conclude who's going to the playoffs or the Super Bowl. Right. It makes no sense. And well, how, would you, how would you change the process? I would change, some I would ch well, I wouldn't ball. just change the number of people I would or the polling. I'd change the format so that the American people could actually hear a longer form debate. You know, let's randomly assign people together and then ask questions about health care or climate, the other issues that, um, uh, that you know, unite Democrats overall, but divide us in terms of how to get there. And that's going to be really important for the general election. So I'm just going to keep talking to Iowa and New Hampshire, putting one foot in front of the other. It's funny that you mentioned speaking truth to power. Just this week, the Des Moines Register ran, and that's the largest newspaper in Iowa. Yes. And they ran a, an editorial that, that, um, that had a headline that said something like, 
Bennett pounds truth into the campaign. And the last paragraph of it said, uh, to Iowans, even those of you that have, think you've locked into the person you want, you should listen to Bennett because he's doing a better job of you know, sp- speaking the truth about what we need to get done and how we're going to get there. So that's what I'm going to keep doing, and I think in the end uh, it'll come around. Well, what, to, just to wrap up on the debates, you know, what if people say, hey, well, maybe that's just Bennett being a sore loser because he didn't make the, the debate stage. What, what do you well, say? Well, I'm not a sore do? loser. I, I, obviously, I'm self-interested, and I'll yes. confess that I'm self-interested. <laughs> but I also think uh, it is important for this party to nominate somebody who can beat Donald Trump. I am literally the only candidate in this race who has won two national races in a swing state. Nobody else has. You know, it's totally different to win a Senate race in a blue state than it is in a purple state. And we have to win these purple states to beat Donald Trump. Um, and I, it's true that I've not spent my life on cable television or running for president, but I do, I do think that I've got a breadth of experience uh, in those elections um, that, that could create a, a very competitive candidacy in this let's, race. Let's talk about some of the ways in which you differ from you know, the field. i say one other thing, too. Yeah. Just... Almost all the other candidates have actually gone backwards from where their poll numbers were when their celebrity allowed them to enter the race. You know, <laughs> So if we're actually trying to look at a measure of progress, I've been moving up and they've been moving down. So we'll see what happens. Well, let's, let's talk about where you, where you differ on the issues in some of, these, some of the candidates. You know, there's certainly been those in the race, your, your Bernies and your Warrens, are, and, uh, and I, don't, I don't quite know where Senator Harris is yet about health care. Um, where they embracing a Medicare for all program. You're not, you want a public option. You said if people want to buy into the program, that's fine. Why is that a better option than Medicare for all? I, th- I think it's better because it um, accepts the fact that we have a system today and there, there are 180 million people who get their insurance from private insurance, many of whom hate it, but many of whom like it. Uh, and so if we have a public option that anybody in America can choose, I think that's going to be a much faster way for us to get to universal coverage than what Bernie has proposed. And by the way, Bernie is practically the only person in this field who describes his proposal honestly. And I respect that. I respect yeah, honestly in which way? Honestly, in the sense that he, he, he says the only insurance that will be left will be cos- what he calls cosmetic, uh, not surgery, insurance, the o- is cosmetic insurance. That right. is stuff you'd use for plastic surgery. Uh, and that it would cost $33 trillion in new taxes to pay for Bernie's plan. Now, he says, look, w- that's just replacing what people are paying in private insurance premiums today. But, you know, $33 trillion, just to give you a sense of order of magnitude, that represents 70% of all the tax revenue the federal government is going to collect from all sources over the next 10 years. It's roughly doubling the size of our federal government's revenue or taxes. I don't think the American people are in any sense prepared for that or want that, which is why it lost in Vermont. You know, once people in Vermont realized what it would cost, they rejected it. So I don't Do know why. that ultimately that's the way to go, to like a single-payer plan like a medicare I, I, for all or do you think that there's or, or do you think there always should be a role for private insurance i don't i i'm not carrying a brief for private insurance in this race my i'm carrying a brief for people to be able to make that choice for their families you know and some people are going to want to keep it some people aren't going to want to keep it i think it is desperately important for us to have a true national public option and i've led the fight for that since uh, since we passed the Affordable Care Act. As Bernie said, you know, about Medicare for All, he said, I wrote the damn bill, and he did. 
And in and when it comes to public option, I wrote that damn bill too. And I think it's the right way for Democrats to go. By the way, people might be interested to know that it polls two to one in Iowa and New Hampshire over Medicare for the, all. The public option, yeah. yes. The, the, and, and the uh, Medicare for all is popular until people hear more about well until they hear one thing about it either either that it takes choice away from the american people Mm -hmm. or that taxes are going to have to be increased massively to pay for it also on the environment uh, you are here in the uh on the one of the bastions of the environmental movement as well as your great state of course yes um you are not, but you're not for the Green New Deal either. You, what is your, what are your? Well, I agree that? with the findings of the Green New Deal, and I think there should be no compromise when it comes to the science. Um, but I am deeply disturbed that we lost to a climate denier. I, I think it should be um, absolutely disqualifying for somebody who runs for president saying they deny that climate change is real. But Donald Trump was elected. I think it should be disqualifying from a moral point of view, but the point I'm trying to make to you is different. I think it should be disqualifying from a political point of view. But the reason he won was he won an economic case. And he said to the American people, if we try to deal with climate change, we're going to destroy the economy, which is ridiculous. The, the real truth of the matter is if we don't deal with climate change, we will destroy the economy. And I'm not going to let Donald Trump win that argument again. My issue with the Green New Deal is that it it requires a, a high-paying job for everybody in America. It requires Medicare for all for everybody in America. It requires paid vacations for everybody in America. As a former school superintendent, I wish that it required an, an excellent public school for everybody in America. But it's another case of the of some people in this country ignoring, for reasons that I don't understand, the plight of poor school children in America. But in any event, my, the, when you start to put those things together, if you're in a state like Colorado or Iowa or New Hampshire, people pretty quickly start to say, those sound like things that might be interesting to, to debate, to, to have a debate about paid vacations. But it doesn't seem like it ought to be part of a, of a, of a um, climate plan. It seems like you're doing something else. And I think it opens us up to attacks from Trump about what it is we're really trying to do. And we can't freaking do that to ourselves anymore. It is too important for us to address climate, to, to, to keep losing to climate deniers. And your concern is, with both of these things, that the party is moving too far to the left and, and will alienate some of the people I, in swing. I'm not even sure I would describe it as moving to the left. I would describe it as being non-strategic. I'd describe it as putting ourselves in a position to lose to a guy who should never have won the White House to begin with. Well, why, the, would, why would people why would they The lose American people are with us on climate change. Mm-hmm. The American people believe it's real and they need to, we need to do something about it. They lost confidence in our ability to be able to navigate these issues without destroying the American economy. And I believe that we could you know, have a plan like my plan, which calls for an investment of a trillion dollars to leverage another 10 trillion in private investment to develop clean new technology here in the United States and export it all around the world, to create a set of incentives, massive ones, for farmers and ranchers in this country to sequester carbon in their soil, to try to um, address climate at the same time we're um, building a broader coalition of people to support the climate work so that the solution can endure. Because that's the other issue here. I hear a lot of people say to me, 
we need to act urgently on climate. I couldn't agree more. I totally agree. You know what else we have to do? We have to create a durable solution. We have to create a solution that can endure. So if we accept the politics in Washington where, you know, we put in climate stuff policy for two years and they rip it out, we put it in for two years and they rip it out, which basically is the way Washington politics works yeah, today, yeah. we will never solve climate change. And this is one of the reasons why I'm in this race. And by the way, I also call for cutting um, uh, emissions from buildings and from transportation in this country in half by 2030. So my plan is, you know, the same in terms of its findings as the Green New Deal. I approach it in a way that I think will build a broader coalition than the a one broader the coalition, Green New bringing Deal private industry into and, and 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 agriculture and as agriculture, well. Yeah. The other plan that I want to talk to you about is one you have that will address working class folks. You know, there's so much of uh, the emphasis in this uh, country is that everybody has to go to college. And as a former uh, uh, top educator, you're like, well, what about people who don't go to college? And you have, you're proposing this $500 billion plan for people without college degrees. You pay for it by rolling back one of the Trump tax cuts. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Thank you. So, first of all, I believe everybody should have the choice of going to college. And yes. too many kids in this country don't because they go to school systems that don't prepare them. But let me put that one side for a second. 70% of the kids in America don't go on to college or they don't graduate from college. And today, because of the way high school and community colleges are set up, they only can earn a minimum wage when they graduate. And there's no reason that should be true. We can equip kids with the skills they need to be able to do to earn a living wage. And if we could do that, that would transform the lives of millions of people in America and transform our economies in ways that, you know, Bernie's proposal to forgive college debt would not. I understand the political value of Bernie saying we want to do this, but the real issue in this country is that not enough kids have access to preschool at the beginning and and that kids that are graduating without going to college uh, don't have the skills to earn a living wage. And and that would make a massive difference to this country and to the income inequality that we have. And you're also, uh, you, you, you wanted, uh, you have sort of a more of a measured approach about raising the minimum wage. You think it should be $15 an hour in the yep. cities, but maybe in other rural areas, it, it should not Look, be. I think I think that it should be $15 nationally. I worry about places like my wife's hometown of Mariana, Arkansas, which is a very, very poor place in the Mississippi yeah. Delta, where if you start requiring people to pay $15, I think you really are going to put them out of business. I've and met with... As a reminder, the national minimum wage is seven twenty-five. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I've, met with, I've met with people... Uh, in the country who are deeply worried that they're not going to be able to pay nonprofit workers um, uh, or keep the nonprofits open if the minimum wage is $15 an hour. So I just think we have to be aware of the uh, of the issues uh, around the country and how uh, different communities respond differently. I also think that the minimum wage is only one part of what we should be doing to make worker pay in this country. I have an increase, uh, I have a proposal with Sherrod Brown to dramatically increase the child tax credit in America, which Columbia University has looked at and says would reduce childhood poverty in America by over 40% and end $2 a day poverty in this country. I think it's the most important anti-poverty proposal anybody's made since we passed Medicaid and also dramatically increase the earned income tax credit. These are things we need to do in an economy where nine out of 10 Americans haven't really had a pay raise for 40 years. Yeah. I want to ask you something about, you know, hearing all the candidates uh, side by side, or many of them uh, yesterday at the at this DNC meeting and, and following this race, for those of us who've been following it. Um, you know, politicians, are, especially when you're running for president, you're selling sunshine. And, uh, you know, 
President Obama, hope and change. Uh, President Clinton, bridge the 21st century. Even President Bush, I'm a compassionate conservative. Man, it's it's doom and gloom right. up there. It's like you know, uh, here's here's what's here's my 3 a.m. agenda, says Kamala. Here's I'm the most electable, says Biden. Uh, you know, Warren has a plan for everything. Um, this is, I mean, uh, where's the sunshine, remember, man? Come on, remember? Where, the do sunshine? you remember? Do you re- you may not remember Donald Trump's um, uh, when he accepted the 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 pre- what do you call it when yes. you're you know no, you're, you're, you're getting sworn speech. in yes, his yes. inaugural speech. Which used two words that you, I would never have thought I would hear in an inaugural speech. The, the carnage. Yeah, well, but preceded by the word American. American, American carnage. carnage. Yes. And it's that gives movie. you a sense of kind of where our political but stuff is. he did sell Make America Great Again. He did. Which was aspirational in And I way. think we have this amazing opportunity right now to save this democracy. That's what's at st- that's what's at stake. I'm not overstating it. And we have had generation after generation of, of Americans who never did their work perfectly, never did it in a straight line, but who came together and did what needed to be done. But do you think the Democrats need to sell a little more we, sunshine? I think we need to. I think we need to look. I think we need to look at this as an incredible opportunity to litigate uh, where America really is on immigration, where we really are on health care, where we really are on having an economy that works for everybody, where we are on ending this gilded age. I don't need to tell people in San Francisco that. We are living in another gilded age. And the last gilded age we had ended only when the American people came together and said, we're going to reform this. You know, we're, we're, going to, we're going to pass a constitutional amendment to give women the right to vote. We're going to pass a constitutional amendment to directly elect senators so they stop bribing state legislatures and go back to Washington and give themselves railway rights of way. We're going to bust up the trusts. We're going to build roads and bridges. We're going to build, you know, um, debating societies all across America about what the most important issues of the day are. That's why we need that progressive movement today, you know, and it's not something that's going to come from somebody in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It's going to come from all of us doing our job. Let's pass a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United. We should do that. 95% of the American people say there's too much money in our politics. Let's end political gerrymandering in, uh, in our national uh, elections so we can put the Freedom Caucus behind us and the tyranny that they have weaponized over the last 10 years to immobilize our exercise in self-government. These are things we can do. That's just the beginning of the stuff we can do to reform the system so it works and to make sure we've got a society that's more democratic, more fair, and more free. Speaking of being in the Gilded Age, we're here, in the, you know, of course, in the middle of Silicon Valley where the incredible wealth disparity. Um, you, the other... Thing you said in your speech that delegates of the day was like this. This process forces uh, the candidates to spend a lot of money on Facebook, right? A platform, as you said, that is that was uh, allowed the Russian hackers to to screw with the election process here. Um, what would you do? You, is there any plans you have about? You know, Warren talks about tech is too big, breaking up the tech companies. Is that a concern of yours? Yeah, it is. I think we should do a, a DOJ antitrust investigation and take a look at these guys. Elizabeth Warren is treating them all as a, they're the same company. I think that's a mistake. They all do different things. They need to be thought about differently, and they need to be understood. And we, we shouldn't be cavalier about this, about the, the breakup. But I think we need to look at it. And the fundamental reason I think we need to look at it is when you look at the, the return on invested capital of publicly traded companies in, in America, traditionally, um, 
that's a pretty flat line because if somebody starts to get an outsized profit, someone else comes in in this capitalist society and competes that profit down. Since 95, the most profitable companies have had profits that have gone straight through the roof. That is big tech and that is the pharmaceutical companies in this country. And I think that's at least some evidence that there is not a competitive environment here and that people can't compete outsized profits down. So that is something we got to look at. Beyond that, deep, deep concerns about the effect uh, Facebook has had on our democracy. And not, it's not just the Russian attack. It's also hate groups and others that are on, you know, what they call their platform that are uh, that are that are really responsible for degrading the democracy that we have. And I think people need to take some responsibility for that. I think Facebook needs to take some responsibility for that. And the government may have to start regulating that. Regulating harder. Um, you're running out. If I'm looking at uh, your candidacy right now, you're not going to make the debate. Right. Okay. Are you, uh, and, and you're, you're polling low, uh, we've lost a lot of candidates in the last week or so. Are, uh, if I look at Michael Bennett, I go, oh, Bennett's next. What, what right. do you say to people? You, have, you, uh, can, look, you can transfer money from your Senate account, but you yeah. don't have a whole, hell of a lot there. What are you going to do to stay in the race? We're going to run an insurgent campaign, and we're going to live off the land. And people <laughs> you may not remember John McCain's Straight Talk Express, but that's yes. an example of somebody who has given up for dead but just kept putting one foot in front of the other and answering every question and showing up in town hall after town hall after town hall. And that's what I'm going to do. And and I think, look, if history is any guide at all, so not making it up, not, not, I'm not making any of this up, if history is any guide, the leading candidates in this race today will not be the people that win the Iowa caucuses or, or the New Hampshire primary. It's just not the way it works. It right. it. it it, the, the folks that are that start on top tend to have the best name recognition. That's true in this race, and that's been true in prior races. Uh, but over time, other people catch hold, and I think that's what's going to happen in this race. And as you think well. it's, so? You're in it for a while, and, yeah. And, and you're the, the moderate alternative. If people, if you know, Biden fails. You know, is that is that what the I wouldn't describe about? myself as a moderate you're alternative. Progressive on some issues. Uh, yeah, I think. Look, as I said, I think I've I've offered the most important anti-poverty proposal that anybody has since we passed Medicaid. So, what I am is somebody who can win states like Colorado, like Iowa, like Arizona, like Maine, uh, and where, and even like Ohio. I think where. Um, We've been losing badly as a party and where we're going to have to win. You're not going to be able to win this state, this country with just blue states. We're going to have to figure out how to get some of the 9 million people back who voted for Barack Obama twice and, and for uh, uh, Donald Trump once. And I think I can do that. All right. Michael Bennett. Thanks for having me. Appreciate right. it. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Senator Bennett for joining us here in San Francisco for the podcast. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, and Karen Creighton for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you're invited to the debate dance or you're staying home, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garifoli. Thanks.